From the campus of Harvard Medical School, this is Think Research, a podcast devoted to the stories behind clinical research. I'm Abby. And I'm Brendan, and we're your hosts. Think Research is brought to you by Harvard Catalyst, Harvard University's Clinical and Translational Science Center. And by NCATS, the National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences. a career in research often looks different for a lot of people. They have different experiences, good or bad, that lead their lives in different directions they don't always anticipate. From a young age, Dr. David Sanchez loved biology and medicine and saw firsthand how the health system couldn't always accommodate his Spanish-speaking family. Dr. Sanchez went on to find schools, mentors, programs, labs, and opportunities that have transformed his research career. Dr. David Sanchez is a resident in internal medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Hi, Dr. Sanchez. Welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you. And you can call me David. (laughs) Hi, David. Um, You're an internal medicine resident at Brigham and Women's. Did you always know you wanted to go into medicine? That's a great question. It's a question we get asked often during different parts of our career. Um, And I think it's, it's interesting to think about like what, at which point in your career you, you start thinking about like, wait, when did I really fall in love with the career of medicine? Um, but I think thinking about it now, uh, I have always had this passion for science, um, ever since I was, Ever since I was in elementary school, I like played around with a microscope and thought it was so fun. Uh, and then when I was in high school, I had my general biology course in ninth grade, and I sort of fell in love with anatomy at that time. Uh, and so I thought, hmm, like let me pursue something related to healthcare. And one of my mentors, uh, who happened to be <laughs> a really close friend of mine, her mother, um, she basically said, you know, you should pursue medicine. This is, I think that that would be a great option for you. And I had never really even thought about it, to be honest with you. It's my family. No one ever went to to high school. Like, well, actually, sorry. My my mother and my father both um, went to high school, but they never graduated high school. Uh, And they, I don't have anyone in my family who went to college. So the idea of becoming a physician seems so far-fetched. And I didn't even know it was a possibility, but she sort of introduced this idea and I explored it. And when I went to undergrad, I became a, a biology major. Uh, and then from there I started seeking out experiences, uh, clinically and I did some shadowing and continued doing research, which was a big thing that I, that I, uh, that I started not continue doing, but rather, but I, I did research at that time and that I sort of fell in love with it. Um, You mentioned being the first person in your family to go to college and then obviously continue on to medical school. What was your experience like in that? Sure. So I think uh, being a first-generation graduate, there are a unique set of obstacles that sort of present in front of you. I think um, I didn't have the sort of same kind of support like emotional support that you might have um, just because I feel like my, my family, they didn't really understand sort of the things that I was going through. And although they were obviously very supportive, I don't think that they could really um, 
so they, they could sort of guide me in the right way at times. Um, and so I think that that was a little bit difficult uh, doing that. And then also being first generation was difficult in the sense that I had, I mean, my family just, they couldn't really help um, financially. Mm. So I was working through pretty much all of high school and all of undergrad. Um, and I like maximized my work study and I was doing, I was doing research that was, I wasn't getting paid for mm-hmm. and also working other jobs. I worked, um, I did a lot of odd jobs in my life, but mm-hmm. I worked, uh, I worked with, uh, mentally disabled, mm-hmm. um, children and, uh, I like, I just basically was our caretaker for some time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think a lot of these things, right. So being the fact that I also didn't have like mentors in my own community and I had to go outside of sort of my inner circle to try to find people to help guide me was, was also a very, very challenging scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked a bit about being at NYU and then coming to Harvard and kind of the different environment and experiences mm-hmm. around those two different places. Mm-hmm. I know you went to NYU for undergrad and then continued on mm-hmm. to Howard. Can you talk about the different spaces where you did medical school research, mm-hmm. coming to Harvard for research, what, how that has been, what that experience has been like? I think this is a great opportunity to talk a little bit about my very unique experience as a graduate of a historically black college uh, or university. Um, so Howard... Has, is it was the first uh, black medical school to open uh, in the country and uh, I w- it was an incredible experience to be a student there just and I think the, the primary things that are worth mentioning is the fact that you as a student of color you're working with colleagues and uh, you know, your superiors, whether it's your attendings, whether it's your, whether it's the residents, whether it's, um, the, the deans and the rest of the faculty, all of them are people of color. Mm -hmm. And so it really does sort of give you this opportunity to see what your career could look like. Um, so there's that. The other thing too, that I thought was, um, a very sort of unique, uh, factor in terms in, in, in or unique sort of experience going to, to Howard was the fact that I uh, all of my colleagues were people of color and so a lot of them had sort of navigated the educational system in the same way that I did um, so they all had very very similar sort of barriers and obstacles that they overcame and so having that sense of community where all the people in your community have sort of had gone through similar things is is something that I I thought was very valuable and only helped to to um to sort of motivate me to continue to do what I do why do you think it's important mm-hmm. you talked about it yeah, a little bit totally. right yeah, about course, community yeah. about course. yeah the obstacles that yeah, you'll face exactly. and it kind of sounds like what you're saying is then this gives you I, I mean, it gives you the space to actually think broader, 100%. wider, higher. And yeah. So if you want totally. to speak to that a bit. Totally, mm-hmm. totally. Um, so yeah, so exactly like you're saying, I think oftentimes, just 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 to sort of backtrack, actually, like leaving that space was 
a very interesting experience for me. Uh, I think I was so used to sort of being in my comfort, like being comfortable and um, sort of just um, uh, sort of just making the assumption that the people that I was working with were had very similar experiences to me. Um, and I think, you know, sort of leaving that uh, was a little bit sort of a culture shock for me. Uh, but um, this, the reality is that most of medicine is, is like this. Mm -hmm. And so uh, obviously it's like a really important lesson to learn because this is something that you're going to have to like go on for the rest of your life. But um, sort of going back to what you were mentioning, um, it's, I think HBCUs are critical in terms of uh, facilitating the success of of minorities in medicine across the board. I mean, mm -hmm. Howard trains a very large percentage or has trained a very large percentage of the black workforce in America mm -hmm. uh, in medicine. And I think oftentimes, you know, thinking about some of those systemic barriers that I, I talked about that I had to face growing up, um, sometimes it's not necessarily easy to make that transition. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's, it's fantastic that there's an option to not have to do that, to, to, to go, to go to an institution where you don't have to fight to feel valued, mm -hmm. to go to an institution where you, you know, you're, you don't feel tokenized to go to an institution where you know that there are, that there are people that look like you who who essentially are the archetype of what you will become one day mm -hmm. is something that's beautiful and something that we definitely need to continue um that we definitely need to continue like supporting and and funding and so i i'm a huge proponent of hbcus and mm -hmm. and i you know and i say that uh as a as a latino person uh coming mm -hmm. from the latino community um but i it obviously has even more value within the black community mm -hmm. and um and and howard is also a fantastic place because they, they just have a very long history of also supporting latinos mm -hmm. since the large wave of immigration uh in the 70s and 60s so mm -hmm. I just yeah, I'm a huge proponent of HBCUs, mm -hmm. and I will, <laughs> I will uh, scream out HU, you know, until the day I yeah. die. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentored the mentorship and kind of someone recommending why don't you think about going into medical school? But were there any other early experiences that influenced your decision to pursue medicine? So one of the things that I think uh, I was was sort of sort of triggered an interest in medicine to. Um, was thinking about healthcare disparities just because uh, I sort of saw it firsthand with my family. Um, whenever I was sick with asthma as a kid, we'd go into we'd go into the hospital, and there would always be this huge issue about trying to get a translator or trying to get a provider that spoke in Spanish. Um, and so I, you know, I, and I witnessed that both as a patient and then also just take, like whenever I would take my, some of my family members to the hospital, I'd sort of see very, very similar situations where there was just, you know, there was a, a lack of healthcare providers that under, that were able to speak in Spanish. Um, and I think that sort of triggered this interest in healthcare disparities. And then from there I pursued, um, different opportunities where I could work with underserved communities and, and that, is definitely something I'm very passionate about and has sort of propelled my career in medicine. And what brought you to doing research? Sure. So uh, to be 
a thousand percent honest. I, <laughs> when I was an undergrad, I, um, I never really thought that, you know, the, a research career was something that was a potential path for me. Uh, but I saw that a lot of my colleagues that were very successful into going into medical school, uh, a lot of them ended up doing a ton of research. And so I had sort of picked their brains and asked them like about opportunities and, and how, why they thought that research might be influential uh, in terms of uh, being able to secure um, secure a, a position in med school. And the big thing that they sort of uh, basically that they sort of like told me about was uh, sort of connecting with mentors who can help sort of, you know, guide your way in terms of cultivating an interest in asking certain scientific questions. Um, and so then I started looking into opportunities. And at that time I was in New York, I was an undergrad at NYU and I, um, I hadn't done any research at that point. So I decided to try to look for experience as outside of my institution. And I applied to a bunch of programs, uh, some undergraduate research programs. And uh, most of them were outside of the US and completely, no, sorry, outside of New York and, and very far away from my comfort zone. I applied to like a program in Utah, a program in, in Oregon, a program in Washington <laughs> State, uh, and obviously in communities that are very different from where I'm from. And I actually got rejected from all of those. Uh, <laughs> and I only applied to one safety program in New York City in the Bronx uh, mm -hmm. at, uh, at Einstein. And that program completely changed my life. Uh, because they, when I was there, I met my mentor, Dr. Joshua Nasunchuk. Uh, he's one of the dean of, of med students at Einstein. And he helped, he helped propel my interest in, in research. Mm. Um, so you were also a part of the Harvard Catalyst Visiting Research Internship Program. Can you tell us about your experiences in that program and what impact the program had on you? Sure. Um, so I had applied to the Visiting Research Internship Program with the hopes of, you know, getting an opportunity to come to Harvard. I think it's... It's many people sort of have this dream of doing some kind of work at Harvard, whether it's being a student, whether it's doing research. And I had looked into different opportunities that Harvard offered, and I saw that this one was available for first-year medical students. And so I applied, and um, I also uh, had an interest in pursuing clinical research because most of my research before that had been basic science. Um, I've, I'd done a bunch of nanotechnology research and uh, fungal disease research before that, but all of it was very bench-based. Uh, and I wanted something that was sort of exploring clinical research more. And so that those two things sort of um, drew me into applying to the program. Um, can we step back a second? You sure. talked about Einstein, the program at Einstein in the Bronx, mm -hmm. um, and how that propelled your interest and really got you into research. Could you talk a little bit more specifically about what was interesting, what you were doing there? Sure. Uh, so when I had first applied to the uh, the Einstein Summer Undergraduate Research Program, I identified a couple of interests, uh, one of them being pediatric clinical research, because I thought that I wanted to do peds before I went to medical school. And of course, with my luck, I, I, got, I got placed in my last choice, which was infectious diseases. I, I thought maybe ID would be interesting, but it was something definitely not at the, sort of at the top of my list of things that I wanted to pursue. Uh, and so I got placed in this lab and it was very, very bench-based. Like I mentioned, it was, it was mostly research uh, dealing with fungal pathogenesis and nanoparticle drug delivery device research. Um, 
And when I when I got placed in, in, into this environment, I it was very very different from what I was used to. I of course you do like lab based work as a undergrad, but I had never done like a project on my own. Um, but what what I found sort of really fascinating about this experience was the amount of autonomy that you're given um, and the amount of creativity that you're given to try to answer a specific question. Um, I hadn't sort of gotten this opportunity before, so I, I sort of fell in love with it that summer. And after I finished my experience in the summer, I asked if I could continue volunteering during the rest of the academic year. And I did, and I would commute two hours from Manhattan all the way to the Bronx three times a week to do work. Mm-hmm. And I was very fortunate because I got, uh, I, I, I was listed, I was able to complete a bunch of projects and I was featured in, on some papers mm-hmm. for the work that I did during during that time. And, and my, uh, my mentor was very happy with my work effort and he offered me a job as a research technician afterwards. And mm-hmm. so I, and I worked as a technician two years after I graduated undergrad and then I went to med school. And so we we talked previously when we had a conversation yeah. about how you came to Rip and mm-hmm. you were looking to get into one space, I think dermatology, and you ended up in neuroradiology. Um, how did being in that lab help you learn more about research? Because you talk about it sounds like it has the same dynamic as your time at Einstein, right? You thought you were going into one specialty and you ended up in another. Totally. Um, so when I had first applied to the visiting research internship program, I thought that I was interested in dermatology because like I mentioned, I had done all this nanoparticle drug delivery device research. And most of that research, um, was focused on cutaneous, uh, fungal infection actually. So it was sort of the bridge of both of my, my work with fungal pathogenesis and nanoparticle drug delivery stuff. Um, and, that that so I wanted to sort of continue something that might be relevant clinically, um, and so I wanted to see if there was any opportunities with clinical research in dermatology, and I had mentioned that to Carol Martin, who was the program director at the time, uh, and she initially when when I when I I actually called her about it, asking mm-hmm. about opportunities <laughs> for that, and she initially told me she's like, yeah, we're gonna work super hard to make sure that you get into your dermatology clinical research program or whatever, just like connect you with a mentor who's doing clinical research in dermatology. And then I got an email maybe a couple of weeks afterwards where I noticed I was placed in a neuroradiology <laughs> clinical <laughs> research lab, which is very, very different mm-hmm. from what I initially had intended uh, doing. And I remember calling her again and saying like, you know, asking her, why would you place me in something so different? And she actually gave me a great response and something that I, I, I still think about to this day. Um, she mentioned how important it is to, to, to step outside of your comfort zone mm. and to explore things that you thought you would never be interested in. Um, and although I didn't end up becoming a neuroradiologist, I learned so much from that experience. I, it was my first, it was my first, uh, it was the first time I ever done any kind of clinical research. Mm. I learned about, um, I learned about uh, like survival analyses, which are obviously very important in clinical research. I learned about um, machine learning, which is something that was like super integral to the lab. Uh, I also contributed um, writing a, a part of the article in terms of the methods uh, and and I got introduced to this place, to 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 Har- the Harvard Medical School system, and and to Dr. Huang, who's uh, still a mentor of mine. And so, ultimately, 
I ended up not pursuing that career path, but I learned so much from that. And, and I, and there's, there's pieces of that experience that I will carry forward with me for the rest of my career. What did you take away from your time in the visiting research internship program? You've talked about it a little bit Mm -hmm. and you just ended saying there are things that you will have for the rest of your career. What are some of those things? Sure. So um, I think one of the things that was really great about the visiting research internship program uh, was the fact that we were basically it's a recruitment program to try to ensure that uh, the the minorities in medicine realize that there are that there is this opportunity um, to pursue research and that making that uh, an essential part of your career uh, is not easy but there, that there are so many pathways to getting support and I think that that's what I learned most about uh, that summer uh, there was multiple seminars talking about, um, sort of what different clinician scientists pathways looked like. Mm -hmm. And I think seeing those, seeing those folks give talks about their career and sort of being able to look at the stage and see someone that looked like me, um, and who had been successful in that path was super helpful. And so I think, you know, that, I think that experience in and of itself was, was very, very influential. What's the research you're doing now at Brigham and Women's Hospital? Sure. So I actually, you know, I feel like I've done many, many different kinds of research. Uh, And there's another experience that I had after I did the visiting research internship program. I, um, like I mentioned, I had done some fungal disease research at Einstein. And then I actually ended up going back to the ID route again uh, with HIV specifically. I've always had this interest in HIV and LGBTQ health. And so I wanted to see if I could bridge my interest in LGBTQ health with something um, that I was also interested in clinically. Uh, And so I saw this opportunity through the HIV Vaccine Trials Network. Um, They have a program called the, um, it's called the RAMP program, R-A-M-P. Um, and I'm not remembering what the acronym stands for, so we'll have to look into that. But, um, but the, but essentially it, I was able to get funding. It was the first time that I wrote my own grant, uh, through the NIH and, uh, I did, I, and I basically worked on this project where I developed novel flow cytometry panels, uh, to, in, in order to try to identify novel biomarkers, um, in vaccine efficacy. And that year was incredibly influential in terms of um, my interest in immunology. And that sort of brings me to where I am today because I want to pursue allergy immunology as a, as a, mm-hmm. as a fellowship. And so in terms of the research that I'm doing now, uh, I'm working with, uh, with Tanya Laidlaw. Uh, she is one of the professors uh, in allergy immunology and her work is looking at um, aspirin exacerbated respiratory disease, uh, which is not a very common clinical entity, uh, but uh, a very interesting one where basically patients have um, severe reactions to aspirin, and we try to desensitize these patients to aspirin. And so what it's basically a clinical research project looking at this patient population and seeing whether 
if they have severe reactions during the desensitization, whether or not there might be any clinical benefit to uh, keeping them on aspirin and figuring out whether they stay on aspirin. What are some of your goals for your career in research? What are you looking forward to? I may have some lofty goals, but <laughs> <laughs> but regardless, um, things that I'm interested in pursuing, I like I mentioned, I want to do allergy immunology uh, for fellowship, hopefully go back to New York. Uh, that's where my family and, and where my partner live. Uh, and I, I, I envision myself becoming a clinician scientist, um, mostly lab-based work. Uh, and I also, one of my dreams is to become like the Dean of Diversity at a medical school. <laughs> I know, like Brilliant. I mentioned, lofty, but yeah. uh, I'm, you know, crossing That's my fingers. What <laughs> <laughs> um, what advice would you give to medical students or recent graduates who are interested in pursuing a career in research? The, the biggest piece of advice I can give is definitely try to seek varied experiences. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because you gain, obviously because you gain something from each experience, but also most importantly and realistically, not every experience you're going to have is going to be a good one. Mm-hmm. And I think can I go in and I think like having multiple experiences where you see different work ethics, where you see different mentors um, and sort of a different kind of collegial environment, you can figure out what sort of works for you and what you're really passionate about. And so I think that that's the biggest thing that I can offer at the earlier stage mm-hmm. uh, and I think sort of at the later stage the um, the important thing to to keep on reminding yourself is that research is delayed gratification mm-hmm. a lot of the times you're going to do things that are not going to work out uh, but that doesn't mean that it might not necessarily work out in the future and plus some of the negative results that you have initially can then build upon different questions that you can ask later on and some of those questions might be very very interesting to the NIH and you could get you could get funding that way mm-hmm. so that's something else that I keep in mind and, and I think at my stage right now what I have thought about often is sort of this the reality about pursuing a research career and how it's um, it's a very it's a very competitive field and and there there's a lot of competition in terms of trying to get grants and uh, the success rate for a lot of clinician scientists right now is not the best but I keep on reminding myself about how passionate I am about this and how much I've dreamed of doing this and so that's what keeps on pushing me forward and 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 luckily there are support mechanisms to help uh, underrepresented minorities in medicine specifically thank you for joining us David it has been a pleasure to have this conversation with you of course my pleasure next time on Think Research. And so he turned to me and he said, you know, if you want to help patients, uh, you're really going to need to simplify your approach. And so I started thinking from that moment onward, how can we really simplify what we're doing at every possible stage? Dr. Jeff Karp discusses his innovative approach to critical thinking and problem solving. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, Please rate us on iTunes and help us spread the word about the amazing research taking place across the Harvard community. To learn more about the guests on this episode, visit our website, catalyst.harvard.edu slash 
Think Research. 